Hello, everybody. How can we help athletes as they face the transitionary time in their life when their sports career comes to an end and sports doesn't play as big of a role in their life anymore? On this week's Sportlight podcast, we talk to Allie Bills, former college basketball player, professional basketball player, and college coach. And she helps us with some of the things that she has learned about how to handle those transitionary moments, both as she's gone through them herself and as she's helped her players navigate that as well. Welcome to the Sportlight podcast for parents, coaches, and athletes. The Sportlight refers to the time in an athlete's life when they have increased ability to affect the culture around them and the increased opportunity to learn life's lessons through sports. This podcast aims to help parents and coaches capitalize on their athletes' precious time in the Sportlight. The Sportlight podcast is brought to you by Especially for Athletes program. Well, Allie, thank you so much for joining us on the Sportlight podcast today. We sure appreciate all you do for us and with us, and especially for athletes. And so thank you for taking the time today. My pleasure. It's so great to be with you. And, and I love the topic that we're going to discuss, but anything I can do to, to help, especially for athletes, I'm just such a um, believer and proponent of the value of what, what we have going on here. So thank you. Well, thank you very much. And I know you've done a previous podcast with us, and uh, but I would like to just take a second and introduce you a little bit for those who maybe come up on this podcast, but not others. So Allie played college basketball at the University of Utah, uh, was a very decorated athlete there at the University of Utah, and then after played a little, a little bit professionally and in the WNBA, if I remember correctly. Is that right, Allie? Yep. Short-lived, then- short and sweet. It was great. <clears throat> That short-lived, short-and-sweet time as a professional athlete is way longer than most of us get to <laughs> so, so that's really cool. Really cool. That after that, you went and coached collegiately for about 10 years at Brigham Young University. Did you coach anywhere else? Or I did. I coached it? at the University of Utah as well. That's what I thought. Okay. So you coached at University of Utah, then uh, BYU, well, and then Utah. you've been doing some other coaching and training and other things since. And so is that a good enough introduction to give people a little window into who you are? Covered more than enough. That's perfect. (laughs) Awesome. Well, and and Allie is a member of our board here, especially for athletes and and does a lot for us and has a very shaping effect on our program. And so we, we really do appreciate you, Allie, and are excited to talk about this topic today because Recently, we had some summits and a banquet, and you spoke to some of the youth athletes uh, there at the summit that we held. And, and you talked about a topic that I think all of us go through in one way or another, and that is those transitionary moments in life. And you got to a point in your life where many athletes get to where, you know, we've played sports and it's been such this huge, big part of our life. And takes up such a large portion of our time and mental capacity and everything else. And then suddenly that kind of turns off and we find ourselves in this place of transition, I guess, for lack of a better phrase. And and you had some realizations and took some action and talked to the kids about that. And I would love just to talk about some of those, first of all, the realization that you had in your own personal life. And then some of the things that you found to be helpful with the, that transitionary time from sports into other aspects of life. So would you first just tell us about that realization you had that you shared at the, at the summit? You bet. And, and I'm going to go back a little bit because, 
you know, whether we want it to be or not, when you spend so much time, whether in your career or as an athlete, uh, in preparing and, and evolving as an athlete, um, as much as you don't want it to become your identity, it's such a big part of who you are that you almost don't know yourself without it because so much time is spent in it. And so I was fortunate as an athlete, I went straight into playing overseas and then playing the WNBA and then directly into coaching. So, so I stayed involved and it's like, I never really fully hung up my shoes, Mm -hmm. but when I went from being the athlete to the coach, there was an evolution there because I was in the mindset of, of not just competing, but being the best of winning. And that mental focus of being my best self as an athlete. And when I shifted to becoming a coach, it took some time for me to want my players to be better than I ever was. I was still of the mindset of like, I need to be the best and I need to make sure that I continue to evolve. Well, my career is over. You know, it's time for me to use my experience to make those around me better. And for some people, it happens immediate. For some people, it never happens. They never get past their own game in order to make those around them better. They always have to hold on to that. And I think that's a huge part of transition is to recognize that there comes a time where you're not the innovator, you're not the creator, you're not the operator, and you become the teacher and you become the influencer and provide wisdom. But it takes some humility and it takes stepping back to realize that I've had my time and whether I like it or not, people are getting better than me. It doesn't mean I can't progress and still improve my game, but that's that's not my place that's not my purpose at this point. So fast forward to getting out of coaching. And I remember my mom asking me, are you ready to get out of coaching? Because once you're out of coaching, you're not Allie Bills, the basketball player coach anymore. You are, you know, just going to fit into the normal world. And it's a different place. And by that point, you know, I realized that sport and athletics and coaching really made me who I was, but it didn't define me anymore. It wasn't my identity. And coaching gave me time to, to transition from the athlete, the competitor, to really having this love for the players I was working with and making them better. And in doing that, whether it's as a coach or as a parent, you can lose yourself a little bit the more passionate you become about making others better. And so, you know, I, I really feel like I evolved from, from the push coach, competitor coach to really wanting to inspire and help these athletes grow. And I preface, you know, getting into these new things with that little story, because when I left coaching, I stayed involved. I started a basketball company, got into a different career, But as an athlete, there's a part of you that always wants to push, that always wants to compete, maybe not with other people anymore, maybe just yourself. But we were talking before just how it takes time to even not feel guilty to work out for three and four or five hours a day or to understand why your body doesn't look the way that it did when you were doing that. And it doesn't mean it can't anymore. And it doesn't mean you can't anymore, but the balance is different and priorities are different and your purpose is different. 
And what I realized, the full re- further removed I came, became from not just playing, but also coaching is I still had a huge desire as a coach and a leader and, and in business and in life to impact others and to help others experience some of the wins that I had in their own way, because what it does for your confidence, what it does for your drive, and even just your mental health to have those feathers in your cap and to have those wins. And I was blessed with a great support all growing up in in helping me believe that I could do anything I wanted and the value of hard work, but not everybody has that, but there's so much to success and small wins and, and those, those experiences that, that build your confidence and help you create your self-worth that I just wanted to give back. But who was I? I mean, I, I left coaching. I wasn't the coach anymore. I mean, even the guys I was dating to say I'm, you know, a mortgage lender really isn't as attractive as when I said I was co- coaching division one basketball, that became the topic for the night, you know? Yeah. And, and so there's a little bit of a relevance there that was starting to disappear from my life. And so I really felt like it had been a long time, not to say I didn't do anything. I really tried to say yes to opportunities of triathlons and, and I, you know, I had done a lot of martial arts. And so I did stunt work and things like that, that it was like, whether I'm ready for it or not, I need to say yes. And I learned to be a yes person for experiences. But again, I, I didn't have, um, you know, anything I was really working toward in growth and for athletes, physical growth is just so fulfilling for us. Mm -hmm. I don't know why we can read a book, write a book, but something about doing something hard physically really helps us. We can quantify the growth, you know? And, and so I was um, driven to seek for some opportunities for more growth, just so that I could actually stay relevant in a way that I could relate to young athletes and to young adults and to people and say, oh, she has an interesting story to tell. I don't have this trauma experience or I don't have, you know, the situation that happened that gives me that credibility to say, wow, that's a cool story and a good overcoming experience in her life. So if you want an exceptional life, if you want an exceptional story, you have to go and do exceptional things. And so um, that was my drive was to continue to have a way to really influence, uplift, inspire, and motivate other people. Uh, That is where my true joy and passion comes from. So That's, that's, awesome. that's what got me onto the, the journey we'll talk about. Yeah. And before we talk a little bit about that journey, I love, you know, I was reading a book because I have um, my daughters right now are kind of in that time where they're, they call it the, you know, the 10 years that shapes your whole life. It feels like the decade yeah. of decision, you know, where they're sure. choosing college majors and they're choosing where to go to college and all that stuff. And I was reading a book thinking about that that talked about it's more important instead of trying to find a profession that works, you find your passion and then you try to find a profession that allows you to do your passion because there might be 15, you know, so 15 professions that allow you to do that. So if you love working and inspiring people, well, there's thousands of 
of professions where you could work with and inspire people. And, and I love, as you talk about your story, that you've kind of, as you've taken a step back and looked at yourself, you've thought, okay, what, what really does fulfill me? Was it, was it basketball or was it really uplifting people and helping people become better and helping people realize levels of performance that they hadn't seen before and then finding different ways to do those things that you're passionate about was one thing that really stuck out among many others with what you just said. Would you speak to that a little bit and kind of how how you've seen that in your life? Absolutely. I I did go from coaching into starting a basketball company into becoming, you know, full-time mortgage lender. And I can honestly say that just what you told your daughters, the part I loved about coaching, I am doing that exact same thing in my business on the lending side. And that is you're giving people hope, you're teaching, you're educating, you're motivating, inspiring. And in the end, it's still about those clients. It's still about those players. And um, I think people can, can, I mean, can see right through and it, transparency as far as like genuine love and care for. And so if those are your passions, whatever they are, you can find it in anything you do. And sometimes you have to actually do a job that doesn't fulfill all those passions, but you also at that point need to go outside of your job and make sure you're doing something that hits on the rest of them that really make you feel fulfilled. And there's so many ways to do that. You know, we can fit so much in our life if we understand the value of time and that life is short and we're not guaranteed tomorrow. And that passion is really important in order for us to get further faster. Yeah. Tell me more about what you've learned about recognizing the value of time. So I have a mentor that I absolutely adore. His name is Jesse Itzler. And he he started a marquee jet company, sold it to Warren Buffett, part owner of the Atlanta Hawks. And he is uh, married to Sarah Blakely, who is the owner of Spanx. And these are big time people, but very normal, raw, ordinary, genuine people. But I heard him speaking one time, which immediately I knew I needed to be around this person more. And he said, so many times in life, we go do things just to do things but we need to do what we love with the people we love more often. And he talked about going and visiting his dad who was getting older. And he said, my dad has about 10 years left. I see him twice a year. And so, you know, 10 years is a long time. Well, that's 20 visits. Hmm. I have 20 visits with my dad. And this was at a time where where my dad actually was very sick. So I had a different appreciation for time and what I would have given for more time. And that's not just in our relationships and with the people we care about, but it's also in our own personal experiences that we're having in this life and the people that you can bring along the way to do that. That really hit home for me, just that we need to value time more And if we want to accomplish something, we don't talk about it, we do it. If we want to compete in something, we don't talk about it, we do it. 
And that became a mental shift for me in 2019 when I started working with Jesse and being a part of, you know, a calendar program and a mentorship program. And uh, it, I've just, it's just taken off since then. Yeah, and I'm excited to hear some of the things that you've learned and and experienced some of the things you shared with us. I, you know, I'm really thinking of our athletes and parents of athletes right now because I think if we're intentional, and you know, Dustin and I love that word intentional. For sure. If we're intentional, we can help them see things that maybe they won't see otherwise as they're growing up in sports. Um emphasizing the the hard work, the process, the resiliency that they display, that they love being with teammates, that they, you know, sometimes the sports, we get so focused on outcomes, wins, losses, stats, but the, those wins, losses, and stats, they, they fade away and then you look silly if you keep talking about them, right? For but sure. The, but the attributes that you develop in sports, if, if we can put into the mind of you to think about that, like, okay, what does this look like? All these things I've learned in sports, because it's really a laboratory to learn some of the greatest lessons in life. And how can I be more what does that look like in my studies and my relationships? What does this look like with my goals and passions moving forward? We could really help some, some kids. I, I remember Allie, and I'm sorry, this is taking like a little divergent, but I have a brother who is a very decorated Marine and now is a member. He works with the FBI and, and uh, does some really great things for people. And He was kind of a rambunctious, hard kid in L.A. County, California. Like any of my friends who are listening to this will kind of laugh and remember my brother and what he was like. He was just just a great person. You love being around him. But but he like would get in fights in high school and he would stick up for people and he would like. Mm -hmm. And so I had gone down and spoken to this youth group down where he was and he had recently returned from. Iraq and um, on a military operation there. And and they kind of had done this little welcome home for him just days before. And then I went home and spoke to a group and there's kind of a line of people who wanted to say hi to me after and stuff like that. And we were driving home and my brother said to me, he's just like, do you realize what just happened? Like, we just had people, they just threw me a parade and people lined up to thank you for things we used to get in trouble for in high school. And I was like, what are you talking about? I was like, well, they threw me a parade for like going and fighting, right? And they just lined up to talk to you for entertaining people and for engaging people. And remember what you were like in Mr. Gray's math class? You know, like, <laughs> and, and it's just kind of interesting to me that, that it kind of hit me at that moment that if we give kids time and we're intentional and we really try to help them see the goodness within them and the attributes that they display on the court, the field, the, uh, you know, that they can, they can really learn to develop attributes that will serve them better in life as they move forward with their uh, with other parts of their life besides sports but maybe we could be more intentional about that and i know you've said a lot about that already but do you have any thoughts after mentoring people for so many years 
on how we could do that maybe even better? I, you know, I think the biggest thing, and it goes back to kind of those moments is I love that you brought up that the one thing your brother got in, in trouble for is the thing he's being celebrated for is your kids come a certain way and they have some incredible attributes and characteristics already and they grow and are used for good or they grow and are used for less good. And I think as parents is where it starts is that growing up sports is a huge bonding opportunity for parents and kids, huge. And I hear so many athletes that have kind of reached their own goals as an athlete, whether it's high school, college, or professional. And they're like, you know, I don't care if my kids play sport. I just want them to know that I love them. If they want to, I'm not going to push them. And I have mixed feelings about that because I'm like, you are who you are today because of athletics. Mm -hmm. And don't let your kids miss out on an opportunity because maybe you're saying that because you got burned out or you didn't have a great relationship with a parent in the end because you were pushed too hard. Let sport be the place where they really learn who they are and develop those already great qualities and learn how to carry them through life. But I think too often, as mentioned, parents and coaches get caught up emotionally. It's not their intention in the wins and losses, and they lose sight of the child and their their development and why they're really there. And I don't even care what level it is. In college, if it becomes about the wins and losses, you're really missing out on an opportunity to not just develop, but learn from these kids that are incredible and really guide and help them through some important growth years and decisions in their life that will take them to a whole other level. So I think recognizing that this, these bonding moments through sport or through whatever your child's doing is a way for you to truly connect and use those examples that are given to us daily through athletics and sport to guide them to use their already God-given natural abilities, talents, and gifts to improve upon and grow and, and not have it be about the wins and losses. You know, we just have to redefine what winning is. And, you know, parents, again, and coaches, it's the emotional that makes them forget that. So that intention of why they're coaching, why their kids are in sport, why they're so engaged needs to shift to be so I can be closer to my child so I can remember these experiences as a positive in both of our lives, you know? Yeah, that's awesome. In fact, I, I've told parents many times, there are no bad attributes. They just have to be guided. You know, like, for example, you have a kid who's hardheaded. You hear parents say, oh, my my kid is so hardheaded. My response would be awesome. Just make sure they're hardheaded about the right things. Direct that, that hardheadedness toward the right things and train it. Don't try to eliminate it. And a kid that cares about sports, that cries after games, you know, awesome. They care so much about something that it hurts that bad. Use that fact that that's one of their attributes to help them learn to deal with disappointment. And it's almost like if I would have a harder time having a kid that was careless because I don't think that they would learn the lessons of, of sports. And so it's like identifying that and then saying, what would it look like 
to channel this to a direction that would that would be a blessing to them in their life? And how could this go the wrong way where this becomes a detriment to them in their life and then shape it instead of eliminate behaviors or, or attributes or whatever. And so, and that's a big part of, of coaching, I imagine as well. And so. Here's a good question to kind of ask yourselves, anyone watching. And, and I ask myself a lot is that there's six human needs that drive us in life. There's certainty you know, that stability, there's uncertainty, a little adventure and just needing that creativity. Um, there's significance and need to feel significant. Maybe you're not feeling that with your peers or parents. Uh, love, huge need for love. Maybe you don't have that. You're not getting it in the way that you need. So there's four and there's two more. And the final two are really where we're trying to get in life. We don't lose those other things, mm -hmm. but if they're our main focus as a coach, you need to feel significant. You, you need people to know as a player, you need that stability. You can't take that risk to get better, you know, whatever it is. Ultimately, we're trying to get to a place where our full focus in life is about personal growth in order to contribute and give back, which is number six. So five is personal growth. That's a need. That's a drive. And six is contribution. That is a need. That is a drive. And I think if those two become our primary focus in life, what ways can I grow so I can better give back? Then we're on the right track. And it's not going to eliminate sometimes that need to feel loved or significant. We can't change our past, but focusing on those other two can really solve a lot of those other problems as well. Or, or needs and drives. And I think recognizing that kids are no different. I mean, when they're doing something, they're trying to fulfill and satisfy a need and recognizing that and then teaching them about that growth and then how to, how to share and give back is, is super fulfilling. Yeah, that's super interesting. I was listening to uh, someone speak a while back and they talked about, they did this study about what kids are popular in high school, what makes kids popular in high school. <laughs> and having worked with a lot of high school kids, sometimes it's, it seems like completely inexplicable. Like you look and you go, wow, how did that kid emerge from this group of kids? Yeah. And one of the things that the number one factor that they talked about is that kids who are well-liked by their peers love their peers and are happy to see their peers succeed. And I, I thought that, you know, going with those two things that you said at the end there, that personal growth and, and, but also that, what was that sixth one that you want to contribution. make a contribution that those who kind of live with arrows out that are looking for others. And especially for athletes, you know, we're biased to one phrase that those who live their life with their eyes up and sure. do the work to try to contribute to other people, those end up because when people feel a contribution being made to their own life by an individual, there is that bond that takes place and there's the love, genuine love. And so some of those things that we, that, you know, Disney shows would tell us makes a kid popular in high school. It's not, it's actually kind of the opposite, right? Sure. It's those kids that can be settled with those four things to mm -hmm. go with what you just shared with us that, and, and then start to live outside of themselves and try to make other people feel that way. I, 
one of my favorite quotes was there was this girl who was dealing with something with her appearance as a high schooler and she was sad about it and her mom told her you do everything you can to make yourself look beautiful but the moment you walk out that door forget about yourself and try to make other people feel beautiful i love that i think that's a secret to life right we do all we can for ourselves. we really try hard it's not that we we don't do that but the moment we walk out our doors if we can learn to make a contribution to other people it will lead to a way more fulfilling life. And so I love that. I love that. And, you know, part of, you know, talking about these adventures I've been on so much of it, it, it seems selfish because I get so much in return, even though you're growing. Yes. And you're contributing, but what comes from both of those is just like so rewarding, but these first four that we talked about so much of it is, you know, you got to feel good about who you are. And I think the kids that have friends at school and their peers really like them have this really base confidence, Mm -hmm. you know, first. And so they're not trying to prove themselves or one up someone else. And, and in the, because of that, they can genuinely cheer for someone else's success. But I think getting kids to a place where they really love who they are is the key to enjoy that growth and that contribution, because I I really think there's so many kids that, you know, they doubt themselves and, and think less of themselves than all the people around them. But our perception of what other people think is solely based on what we think about ourselves. You know, we get defensive because we're already thinking that how could someone think that we're great, you know? So I, I think that, again, these experiences that I, I will talk about, a big part of them is there's never an age where it's not important to do things to, to make you feel really good, whether put, putting makeup on in the morning and making sure that you have, you're well-groomed and dressed nice. But, but again, just doing those things that you know is a feather in the cap, is a small win. And, and there's never a time in your life where we don't need those things. Otherwise, we get stagnant. And if we're not progressing, we know what that means. You know, we're moving back. Yeah. And so let's go there. Um, I would love to talk about some of these things when you had that realization that, okay, I need to push myself. I need to have that aspect of my life again, where I'm, I'm pushing sports provided it for so long, but now I need to be more intentional about pushing myself a little bit out of my comfort zone or a lot out of my comfort zone. So I can continue to experience that personal growth and, and really feel solidified in who you are. And, and you went to some pretty drastic measures to push yourself out of your comfort zone and to, to feel, to fulfill that need that all of us have. And I would love to learn from what you've done. Uh, So tell us a little bit about when having that realization and what you decided to do with it. You bet. So the the first challenge I was given in 2019 was to make sure I calendar my life, that I decide what what these trips and events that I want to participate in in order to grow are going to be and put them on the calendar and schedule life around it. And people with a lot of children are like, this is really hard to do. I'm going to be on the back burner. But what I want to say to that before going into this is just that it is so inspiring for a child to see their mother competing in, and I don't have children, but what I've seen 
to be competing in and overcoming and doing hard things that sometimes doing some of those things for yourself, not only inspire your children, but you feel better about who you are as a person, as a mother and the influence you have and what they're going to take away from that is incredible. And so it's never going to be an easy time. So calendar the things in your life that you want to do. And maybe you don't even know you want to do them. Just sign up for some things that you might be interested in and do them. So calendar your life first or you'll never do them. It'll be something you talk about forever. Mm-hmm. And then every year you need to choose one thing and you call it a Masogi. And it is an event that is truly life-changing. We say life-changing all the night, all the time, but is it really life-changing? You know? <laughs> What's something that's going to change your perspective, a mental shift, something that's going to push you to a limit you haven't experienced in a long time? Every year, you're going to do one of those. For some people, it is writing a book. It is starting a new company. And that is awesome. I would want to do those in at the same time and in conjunction with something physical, because physical for me is measurable. Mm-hmm. It's fulfilling. Now, I'm super broken as we go into these events. My body has been through a lot, 14 knee surgeries. I currently don't have an ACL. No doctor wants to do surgery on it. We're still having that debate, too young for replacements. But but in doing all of that, physical is where I need to go for me. So the very first challenge I signed up for was um, in August of 2020, and it was called the Utah Everest Everesting. And it is the equivalent of hiking Everest in regard to elevation, 29,000, 29 feet. It's called 29029. And it's 29.9 miles uphill. It's at Snow Basin. You complete that 13 times in 36 hours. And the beauty of it is that it's me in the mountain. It is an event. It's not a race. I've never done endurance sports. But one thing I felt like is it's been a long time since I've had a conversation with myself in a place where I was uncomfortable, not life uncomfortable, but self-inflicted, sport-related, you know, competition, uncomfortable. And, you know, we talk so much about eyes up, do the work. Well, this was the perfect example of where to use this. A phrase and how it's so applicable in life. But when I went to that mountain, I did all the preparation. I did all the training. They give you a great program. And I trained really like every Saturday of my summer was a nine, 12, whatever hour, but I was committed to that. But when I went to that mountain, there were, there was moments where middle of the night, I was having those conversations as do I do one more climb? You have to get it all in, you know, finish by five o'clock in that 36 hour. Do I go back and rest? And, and I have to say that I was happy with the mental toughness that I had gained over time or not lost through sport and had that desire to push at a time would have been very easy. And I probably would have been okay to, to take a break. But the coolest part about it is as I was doing the work, I had my eyes up and I was so inspired by the people around me. I'm on this mountain, but the lady next to me, she's a cancer survivor. She was doing the world championship Ironman in Kona 
on chemotherapy. She's 60 something years old and just, she is just going for it. And then there's another lady whose poor husband passed away during COVID. He was signed up for the race. She's wearing a backpack with his picture on it. She hadn't trained for it. And she was climbing that mountain for him. That by doing these events and doing what I can to put myself in a situation where I can test my own resilience that we talk about. Mm -hmm. And instead of what the world brings, just put myself in a situation that's hard and see how I handle it. Believe me, a lot of things I face in the world aren't going to compare to some of those emotions and experiences on that mountain. But who I was inspired by in the process. When you do hard things and you go to these events, there's like-minded people that are trying to grow and do better. But I was just motivated by the people around me. And the other thing, once a coach, always a coach, or once a point guard, you never are quiet after that. But just being able to encourage people along the way and, again, fulfill kind of those passions. My climb got easier the more I encouraged other people. My climb got easier the more I was willing to keep my eyes up and be aware of their needs, but also to be inspired by them. It's equally important to allow others to help you and to to learn from them as it is to encourage and, and push. But when we were going into that hike, we were taught a lesson And I I love it so much of what we believe with E4A, and that's three steps. And I remember just repeating this on the mountain, probably, you know, the first three climbs is 2.3 miles up. And overall, it's it's 29.9 miles uphill. Mm -hmm. You ride the gondola down and they say, turn right, just go up the mountain. If you go in to get a massage, you're never going back out. So just turn right. And that was the rule. And we talked about patience as being number one. Endurance is not about winning things. It's about not slowing down. Life is is about consistency and about keeping that pace. And and it's, it's, it's a win. It's about not slowing down, just going, keep going. But patience is huge. This is a marathon, not a sprint, just like life. The second is to be present. And so much of what we do, we are not aware of the beauty, the people, the inspiration, the teammate that needs your help or that you can learn from. But being present was key. And then number three was being intentional with every step, with every climb, really being able to do an equipment check. You know, how's my water intake? How's my my electrolytes? But really getting to know yourself on a totally different level by being patient, by being present, and by being intentional. And that applies to everything we do in life. And the world's a beautiful place if we live that way. There's so much to learn and grow. And so that experience, I have to say, you know, you shed more tears at the end of that when you might have finished, you know, I finished whether it's in the 20 something hour mark. 36 hours, someone comes through that finish line, and maybe they didn't complete the 13. To stay on that mountain for 36 hours is probably a lot harder than finishing a little faster and being on on the mountain for 23 hours. Hmm. And there's there's just so much to learn and grow and gain from putting yourself in positions to get to know yourself better, testing your resilience you know, surroundings where there's like-minded people that can push and, and, and help you grow. 
So that was the first event that I did that was pretty significant. Someone ever asked if I did a marathon? Absolutely. I did a marathon uphill. No one's asking me how fast I ran it, if I ran it. But yes, I have done a marathon. 30 miles uphill counts. That, so that, I think that really does count. And I love those. You know, as you were talking about, you put it on the calendar and and you plan around it. Um, I think that's applicable for individuals. I think that's applicable for families. I think that's a applicable for couples. You know, um, I think there's a lot of those things that Justin Sua, the, uh, you may know Justin yeah. or have heard of Justin, Justin is the mental performance coach for the Tampa Bay Rays. And he, he uses a phrase, you need to live life on purpose with purpose. Love that. And I see that, you know, on purpose is intentional. You're putting it on the calendar with purpose is that you're not just putting fluff on the calendar. You're not just, but things that really bring purpose to your life and, and meaning to your life. And so I love those, um, those applications. Then it was um, be patient, be present and be intentional. And he says deliberate or intentional, same thing, but there's a fourth one I didn't mention and it's execute, execute, execute. And like you said, it's not really just about the first step is putting it on the calendar. Yeah. The second is to actually do it. And so a goal we've been given is it's called the Kevin's rule, a guy and his buddies, every five to seven weeks, you're going to do something that you look forward to. As humans, we need to look forward to things. We need to be excited about things. We get stuck in the everyday. It doesn't have to be a challenge. It doesn't have to be money spending money traveling that way. It can be anything that you look forward to doing a hike with a family. But think if you put five, every five to seven weeks and you put something on the calendar with a spouse, a date, if you do it for a little family getaway, if you're going to go to Lagoon, whatever it is, have it on your calendar, plan it as a family. Think by the end of the year, you're going to have 10 of those. Hmm. At the end of what, you have how many years left with how many kids, how many summers left? Yeah. You're like, okay, so we have six experiences left, two per summer with this child. We only have three years. Yeah. So what are those going to be? And start looking at it in terms of creating memories. Over 10 years, you have 150 memories that you've created intentionally because as a family, you picked them out and put them on the calendar and scheduled everything else around them. That's when your kids become best friends as they grow up and get older is they have an opportunity to build those friendships. You know, it's great to support each other in sport, but when you travel intentionally plan and do things together, then they become friends. Yeah. That's awesome. awesome. That's great. I love that. So then you've done some other things I know with like some really cold water and tell us, <laughs> tell yeah. us what you've learned from that. So one of the big parts of this whole thing is just, again, mental growth, you know, whether you're limited physically or not, there's just a, a part of, you know, everyone in life has certain feel, fears or limitations. You know, I went to, to learn about what my limitations might be. And I'm like, oh, I don't really have any limitations. You know, I, I feel pretty confident. I feel pretty good. We all have limitations and, and finding out what those are can be really humbling sometimes. But a big part of working through that is understanding how to be still. It's understanding how to breathe. It's understanding how to focus. And we don't do anything in life 
outside of maybe really intentional, we're going to use that word a lot, yoga, intentional meditation that really requires us, intentional breath work that requires us to get to this place where we are completely in control of our fears, of our anxieties, of our worries. And there's a lot of skills that we can learn by doing hard things, specifically getting in cold water. Cold water is incredible for your health, but it's awful. A cold shower is very different than getting in a cold lake, which is very different than getting in an ice bucket, which is different than swimming under a cold pond. They all have a different element, but they all require you to center and to focus and to face a very uncomfortable situation. So I'm really big on getting comfortable being uncomfortable and finding as many things I can do that make me uncomfortable that are progressive and helping me grow. Because when we're uncomfortable, we grow. And when people feel stagnant, and we'll talk about it later, it's because they're comfortable. Hmm. And or they're not experiencing those wins. So I went to Minnesota. We drove out 50 of us to this like-minded people to a lake in Wisconsin. This is in February in Wisconsin. So it is zero degrees in the day and negative 18 at night. We're sleeping on tents in the frozen lake. It's a single log tent. And this is the first time this has kind of been done in this group. They didn't know the tent didn't heat below zero. So in the middle of the night, you keep putting a log on this tent and it burns out every 30 minutes. So you're replacing every 30 minutes, but it can't heat the tent. We just kept putting the log on. We felt better at least seeing it burning, even though we couldn't feel any heat. (laughs) And we did yoga, zero degrees on the lake in the morning. They had to cut through three feet of ice in order for us to plunge. And we got into a frozen lake. It was 32.3 degrees. I mean, all but frozen, obviously under the frozen portion. And we'd stay in it for three minutes. We did a lot of breath work in preparation for it. When we got out of the water, everyone's in their full winter gear. And we're in swimsuits. And we're doing these breath work drills to warm up our bodies before going into a sauna, which was out on the lake as well. But again, that was a different challenge. It was a self-inflicted, uncomfortable situation. And because of that, between the the hot and cold therapy, I, I now have a membership to do that twice a week on my very own choice. But to consistently put yourself into cold water is a great way to do something uncomfortable that you can do in your own home. But it never gets warm. It doesn't ever get easier. You just know what to expect and you know how to handle it and really learning how to breathe through it and to focus in a way that life doesn't really teach, allow, or give you opportunity to do unless you take the time for it. So that was a different element of of growth and challenge is, is living in this cold world for two nights is all. Um, but without that warmth and having to really work through that mentally and, and learn how to, to manage stress, anxiety, fears, discomfort. And it was incredible. Hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. So 
if you take these two experiences that you've had and what we went back to, I, I'm trying to get in the mind of someone listening to this right now. And, you know, sometimes experiences in life look different, of course. And, um, but someone who's feeling stagnant, someone who feels like, I especially think of, you know, a young mother who is, man, maybe they did all these things and now being a mother to small children or toddlers, that might be the hardest job in the world um, where they could feel that even though they're doing a bunch of stuff all day, they feel stagnant. It's not that they are, it's not that they're being lazy. We aren't talking about couch potatoes here, just eating pork rinds and watching shows. (laughs) We're talking about people who are busy in life and life is kind of taken over a little bit, the busyness of it. And they feel just this stagnant feeling in their life. What would you say is the the general principle that you're trying to, that you're teaching us that you found to be helpful to get out of that own situation in your own life? Um, I would say, first of all, is to just do, do something. We can all fit in something that's really important to us. It doesn't have to be big. Just do it. Second is know what your needs are and also know what your passions are. And make sure you're doing something for you. So do something for you. And if you don't know what that is, then I do challenge you to fill up the bath with cold water, throw ice in it and get in it. Just be uncomfortable for just a second. Because when you get out of it, you feel like you just seriously accomplished something hard and you feel alive. Cold water makes you feel alive. But as you're stagnant, it's really just because when you start to get comfortable in life or you get complacent, and I'm saying this in the sense of not that life's easy, because I think through COVID, everyone's experienced this stagnant feeling because we went into our homes, which was really a nice reprieve from the crazy world we were in, to getting really used to being in the home and this transition back out of the home into life, into busy again is, and some people maybe stayed busy, but in a very difficult circumstance because now their kids are all at home. Mm -hmm. What have you done for you? Your kids will be fine. They'll be inspired by you. Do something for you and don't just talk about it, do it. And also just feeling like I've lost myself. I've lost myself in, in through this process. I don't really have any passions. I'm just kind of blah. Mm-hmm. So you need to do something to make you feel alive and you need to follow people that inspire you. You need to listen to things that motivate you. I always love the idea of winning the hour. We talk about it all the time. I like that first hour of the morning to be all about you. You will be better the whole day. If you don't look at that phone, you get up, you move and I love that motion equals emotion. We've lost emotion in our life. We've become stagnant, lost emotion, and motion equals emotion. And so start your day by moving, walking outside. It's getting to be a great time of year to do that. And then make sure that you are taking time to really, whether it's have gratitude, whether it's pray, whether it's meditate, 
whether it's just to be still, start your day all about you. First thing we do is pick up that phone. It really throws you off. It's a negative start to the day. But as you do that hour of power or winning that hour, notice your day will shift. Your energy will shift. Surround yourself with things that are uplifting and positive and inspiring, and then go do it. And don't envy everybody else doing it. And you're not. Mm-hmm. Go do it. Awesome. And it's one thing you said, sorry, Allie. Uh, one thing you said in the past is sometimes people are like, I don't even know. I've lost myself so much. I don't even know what I'm passionate about anymore. And if I heard you correctly in the past, you you would say that just start trying things. Yep. Just start trying some things and you might like it, you might not, but do just do some things and eventually you will find something that you feel passionate about. So here's an example of what we're doing right now. Like I said, learning all this thing's great and all, but if I don't share it with people, then, you know, yes, I've grown. But in coming back from Wisconsin, I rented out the plunge. It's a place in Utah County that you can actually go and get in cold water and a sauna. And it is incredible. It's a great date night. Do it with any of your older children. It is awesome. But I rented it out for people at work. I rent out for partners and half of them have memberships now. They're like, it's just what I needed. I did not realize that A, it would be that scary to get in cold water and B, how good I'd feel because I did it. And then you get warmed back up again in the sauna, which is great. But but I also have a group of women that are in management positions, um, women and men at my work, and they just are just feeling like they've, whether they've gained weight or not, they do not feel themselves. Whether they've, you know, felt negative or not, they've just, they're not themselves. So we just started a group to do a couch to 5K. And they have 30 days to do a 5K. We're not going to ask if they ran it, if they walked it or anything, but just the training and doing a 30-day. If you want to run a 5K, then go do it. Start now and do it. One of them's like, I've always wanted to run a marathon. I don't even like running. I'm like, let's start a couch to 5K and then let's put a half marathon on your calendar six months from now and do it. It doesn't matter if you walk the whole thing, run seven minutes, walk three. It doesn't matter. Life is about finishing. It's not about winning. It's about being your best self. It's about being consistent. It's about being uncomfortable. It's about doing hard things and having passion for it all along the way. And that's awesome, Allie. That is, I just remember, you know, as we're talking you're inspiring me. I, I'm having all these thoughts like go through my head. And I'm like, but I remember going back to maybe where we started. <clears throat> and then I'll just have you share any final thoughts that you have. That I remember when I realized, and I was in denial for a little while, but I realized my college baseball um, career was over. And I, I still had some friends that were playing. And so I went to watch a game and I remember I made it to about the bottom of the second inning and I couldn't do it anymore. I couldn't watch it. It was, it was actually painful for me to see that person within me die. You know, that I'm not Shad, the baseball player anymore. I'm, I'm Shad. And, 
And I, I just love, I know that some of our kids, I mean, high school graduations are happening this week and, um, some kids have been that even star athletes in high school often don't get to go on and, and play college ball somewhere. Uh, and some of them are seen going through that transition right now and where they've all of a sudden, man, now I'm just college kid walking around a campus and I'm not an athlete anymore. I'm not. And so this is a super relevant topic. And I just appreciate so much those things that you've shared with us because some don't handle that transition very well. And it could go very bad for kids if they've lost their identity and who they are. And sometimes they go to some pretty bad places to try to discover, uh, to try to fill that void, I guess. And so... So well, what, I do have thoughts. Yeah, I do. So just uh, two weeks ago, I went and did, um, it was called Driveway to Hell. It was in Rome, Georgia. And we had to do a half marathon and it was a half mile uphill. And then you go down and repeat it. And it was very steep. And it, it when I was on that trail, I was, I was walking up the hill with this this older guy. And I'm like, Oh, I'll just, I'll just talk to him for a minute as I pass him. And no, I wasn't passing him. He was holding his own just fine and pushing me. But, you know, we talked about, um, he was a family physician and he was getting ready to retire. And this is relevant. If you are a high school athlete that isn't playing in college and moving forward, it's relevant. If you are in, your college athletic career and, and moving forward. And so many times, most athletes don't choose when their career ends, you know, as, as a employer working in, in entrepreneur, whatever, we have a little more of a choice when that retirement comes, but as an athlete, it's like, we don't have a choice when that career's over. Someone chooses it for us or we get an injury or something. It's really hard to wrap your head around that. And if I could go back and say anything to any of those phases in life, and I'll finish that conversation with him, is that it's a time to get really excited about what's next. There's a lot of things I didn't do in life because of my high school and college athletic and professional athletic career that I'm trying to do now. But my body is really paid for that experience, and I wouldn't trade it for the world. But my sister didn't participate in those things. And she is in tennis leagues and doing Spartans and doing races and her body's in a different place. And she's she's experiencing so many incredible things, but she didn't have that college athletic opportunity. Life is what we make of it. And we have now a chance to start a new chapter that can be equally or more exciting and you can do greater things with it. And so I was talking to this doctor and he's like really in his late sixties and he's going to be done and he's just really struggling. That's his identity. And because of just what I've been going through and, and the transitions, there's a time in your life again, to be that creator, to be the winner, to be the competitor, but there's a time to become the teacher. And really when people are retiring or moving away from, from their sport or their job is when they should actually start teaching it and be hired on for more money because they're worth so much more. And our brains don't even work the same later. We're not the innovators anymore. Maybe we're getting passed up in some areas, but we can also offer something that other people can't, they can't do. And so 
take whatever experience you've gained in high school, in college, in your work, and think of a way that you can go and participate in things that make you uncomfortable. Sign up for something that is something you thought of maybe as a child or currently in high school that you'd really like to do and go and do it. And then take that experience and invite your friends to it, share it, and see what that does for you. Identity isn't about what we did. It's not always about what we're doing. It's about what we're becoming in the process. And if we're stagnant, we need to go get uncomfortable. We need to go do something. And if you're retiring and ending something that you're afraid to take that next step, don't just go get in cold water to face a fear, but definitely see what way you can use your wisdom and experience to give back to somebody else. That will be more rewarding than anything you did and accomplished and the accolades and awards that you gained if you can apply it start podcast, do, I mean, you're doing great things with this program, blessing lives every day, but it's always about finding a way to grow and to contribute back. Awesome. Well, Allie, thank you so much for taking the time to share this with us. It's super inspiring. We're, we're excited to have you on our podcast more. We've talked about that and are grateful for the contribution that you make and, and grateful for these thoughts. I know I'm leaving right now and I'm thinking, there's just so many thoughts, so many conversations I want to have with my with my wife, with my kids. And so I hope that everyone else has that same experience as they as they listen to this. And so thank you for for joining us today and we really appreciate you, Allie. You're so welcome. And I do have us on the schedule to the cold plunge, so be ready. Okay. I'll, <laughs> I'll tell my wife to be ready too. That'll be perfect. That'll, I, I know she's not gonna like style. that, but <laughs> It's it's a pleasure. Thanks, Chad. Well, thank you. And thank you, everyone, for joining the Sportlight Podcast. We hope that you'll subscribe and share this with other people. Eyes up. Do the work. This has been the Sportlight Podcast from Especially for Athletes, sponsored by Coca-Cola. You can learn more about Especially for Athletes by visiting the website at especiallyforathletes.org. You can also learn more about the book, The Sportlight, by Shad Martin and Dustin Smith at especiallyforathletes.org slash book.